L.L. Bean has partnered with the National Park Foundation to help you find your happy place. And with more than 400 national parks, there's a good chance you'll find one close to home. Discover your perfect day in a park at findyourpark.com. <laughs> This week, trivia games take front and center around RV miles as we find ourselves buried in snow. Plus, Joel Holland from Harvest Hose talks to us about getting a massage from a nun. And Abby has a blast from the past in her Fresh Tank Black Tank segment. This is RV Miles. Welcome to episode 114 of RV Miles. I'm Jason. And I'm Abby. And we are two full-time travelers who, along with our boys, Jack, Ethan, and Henry, crisscross North America on one epic road trip. Although now I need to put, get a massage from a nun on our epic road trip bucket list. Uh, each week, we talk all things RV and outdoors from travel destinations to gear, industry news, our national parks, and a whole lot more. I have absolutely no idea what's going on today. Abby has put this episode together. <laughs> I have. And she's put very, very vague things <laughs> that she's going to be doing to me, apparently. Well, okay, well, first off... <laughs> Let's not put it like that. That's that just opens up a whole world of possibilities. But what we are doing today is we are playing a few games and I didn't want you to know what they were, because if you knew, then you'd know the answers. And that's not fun for anybody. Nope. <laughs> it's not fun. It's for not me. fun for me to play games that I don't know what they are. So if you noticed from the intro, we are a little snowed in. Uh, Ball did not hit where we are. No. Look, October, go home, you're drunk because <laughs> it has just been crazy here. So Monday, so today is Saturday. So Monday and Tuesday, it was 72, 73, 74. It's beautiful. For those of you that are new, this Sorry. Is, we're, we're stuck here in Minot, North Dakota. We've been here for like... I don't know, two and a half months now or something like that. Eight weeks. Don't don't add okay. extra time on. We've been here for eight weeks as Jason has been recovering from emergency brain surgery. But uh, there's a legitimately a half a foot of snow on the ground. It's blowing like crazy. It's in it's, the, the 20s. It's 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 winter. It's winter. So we had this beautiful weather on Monday and Tuesday. And then on Wednesday, it just started to turn and it just kept turning and turning and today, you know, last night we went to bed and we had this beautiful sunset last night. It was these gorgeous purples and pinks and dark reds and it was stunning. And then we woke up this morning and there was snow everywhere. Mm. I was just crazy and it hasn't stopped all day. And of course, you know, I'm out in it every morning to go and pick up Jason's medicine. So it was incredibly enjoyable to get out this morning when they had the, I was out before the plows. I've clearly been out before the plows all day. Like they just don't believe in plows here. It's just kind of that weather that you just, you know, you hunker down and, you know, you eat desserts and you drink coffee and you watch TV and you play games. So we're going to play games on the show today. That's what we're doing. Okay. <laughs> so I see in the, in the outline here, yes, yeah, so it says Abby RV trivia time. Yeah. So why don't you go ahead and, you know, do that? Okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> Jason really has a hard time relinquishing control. He's if you could see him right now, he's super stressed. He's like his eyes are closed. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take Tom's here. He's gonna take some Tom's. <laughs> so we're gonna play a game where I just kind of went through and I looked up like some RV trivia. Okay. So I'm gonna ask you and the individuals listening. I'm going to ask these questions and then you have to try and come up with the answer. It's pretty simple stuff. Things we've talked about in the past or just, you know, just maybe things that um, I thought were kind of interesting. Okay. Just a second. I'm going to open Google. Okay. No, you can't Google. You can't Google. This has to be completely from your, there's no Googling. Okay. Okay. So right. we're going to start off just really simple. Okay. It's just a few questions. Give your best answer. First one. How many RV owners are there in the U.S.? Now, I want to state that I tried to find the most recent articles on all of this. This is data I got from spring of 2019. So it seems to be fairly accurate. I think it's like uh, like two to three million in there somewhere. So there are roughly 40 million people in the United States who go RV camping every year. Right. That includes like all the people that go in the so, RV. Right. So that includes backyard and car-based camping. Now, I'm not quite sure what car-based camping is when you're talking RV because isn't RV... It's, that's camping with a car. Right. So that's not really RV, right? No, no. Okay. But there you go. According to this 40 million... RV in the United States, RV camping. I believe that there is somewhere in the range of two to three million RVs owned out there. I think, that's I think what it was, my I think it was like seven yeah. million actually. Okay. Well, okay. But, I could be yeah, way off. I mean, that's what the number I was going for. <laughs> so roughly, okay. And the United States also makes up the largest percentage in the world of RV owners. Well, that's not a surprise. Yeah, second is Canada. All right. That's so, I don't know. I would have thought Europe. But I guess if no. you're, I guess you'd have to pull all the European countries together to get a bigger right. number. Right. So yeah. we're just talking a country. Yeah. So next question: What is the current number of public and private campgrounds in the U.S.? Uh, twenty-five thousand. It's eighteen thousand. We was, need twenty-five thousand. I was gonna we say. <laughs> I was. Oh man, I was so close to saying twenty thousand. 20,000 stuck in my head and then I decided well you doubted let yourself. me I doubted myself and I doubted added a little yourself. bit I would have been so close this is I would have been 10% off yeah you uh. would have been so according to this study there are 18,000 public and private campgrounds in the US which I find amazing considering how hard it is for all of us to get campground reservations that we can't all fit into 18,000 campgrounds and that doesn't take into account like Boondocking. Well, a lot of okay. those campgrounds are in places that, you know, people don't want to be. You know? well, this, is tr <laughs> this is true, too. Nobody wants to be up here at this campground in Minot, North Dakota in October. I think there's like three of us here. And <laughs> no, there's more than that. No. What? No. Okay. There's seven. Yeah. Excuse me. That, well, seven, seven is definitely more than three. What is the average age of an RV owner? An RV owner. As of spring 2019. What is the average age of an uh, RV owner? I'm going to say it's... 53. You're very close. It's 48, which that number is just ticking it's going down, down. Yeah. every year. Mm -hmm. So 48 is the average age of an RV owner. So far, you're losing at this game. Just so you know, you've not got hey, a single question right. Okay. These are not questions um, that you get right, you know, okay, or wrong. Yeah. These are questions you get close or not close. Uh, you either win or you lose. <laughs> okay. okay. That's all that happens. Going back to the Google. What is 
get off Google. What is the most popular type of RV sold? And can you give a guess on the number sold for 2018? Uh, I know some 85% of RVs on the road are travel trailers. Um, okay, you got that right. So it's travel trailers. Yes. That's pretty easy. So, for 20, uh, so for 2018, 2018 that's the most recent like year data we have so far. Can you guess how many were sold? And do you need a clue? It's going to be around 400,000. Final answer? Yeah. Okay. It was 289,940. Well, that doesn't make sense because they sold 500,000 RVs out last year. And if 85% of them were travel trailers. Look, I am not business insider. I'm just telling you what they said for 2018, that travel trailers are by far the most popular RV type with 289,940 being sold in 2018. Now, if you want to go back and check some of that information, you're welcome to. But, you know, I, I'm just saying this is what Business Insider told me. OK, couple more and then we're going to we're going to move on. Which one of these is not the name of an RV? Cougar. Raptor. Hummingbird. Mountain Lion or Wildcat Max. Two X's, by the way, Max. Because because it's like max to the extreme. So which one of those is not the name of an RV? Mountain Lion. Dang. Seriously? Yeah. Oh, that's so annoying. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Mountain Lion. I tried. Look, I tried so hard. First off, uh, let me let me give you a breakdown of some of the Googling I did on this one. I tried Googling. Why do we name RVs after animals? Tried to find what are the most popular RV animal names. I was just trying to get a list of what are the animals we've used to name RVs. I need someone to put this someone's data together. together. Someone's got to put this data. Get off the RVIA's okay. website. I, got, I, I see I'm, you. I'm, I got to. I got to figure out how how I ended up being wrong. This. I need to not. know. So this is this is why Jason and I have certain games that we're not allowed to play because neither one of us likes to be wrong. Like we don't play games where we have to ask each other questions because we think the other person's lying <laughs> when we get the answer wrong. So that was like my last, like my last, last question. But here's something else that I was trying to Google. How many hot dogs were consumed in 2018? But I was specifically wanting to find out how many hot dogs do people consume camping? Okay. So I was like, what is the average number of hot dogs consumed on a camping trip? Couldn't find that out. What's the most popular RV exterior color? Couldn't find anything. It's either white or that weird tan color. <laughs> <laughs> well, no one knows. The, and no one knows. I did find some very interesting information about our hot dog consumption in the United States in 2018. And I just feel like I would be remiss like I wouldn't be doing my job as a data game show host if I didn't share some of this information so I have these questions about hot dogs these are your bonus questions okay, okay. what city do you think consumed the most hot dogs in 2018 not state but what city. city yes shout See, it out if you know now the answer, I want to go I, I want to go with Chicago just you know because but I'm thinking it's going to be New York or LA I'm thinking it's going to be New York okay going with New York wrong <sighs> it was LA which I have to oh, tell you so close. okay see I think that blows my mind because of 
how health centric, how. Yes. But here's the thing. You can grill out year round in L.A. This is very true. So they consume about 31 million pounds of hot dogs in 2018 in Los Angeles. Now, here's something really interesting. Chicago's O'Hare International Airport consumes six times more hot dogs than Los Angeles International Airport and LaGuardia Airport combined. Yeah. They consumed about 725,000 more. That's the Chicago dog at work. That is international tourists coming in either for layover flights or coming into Chicago and being wooed by the Chicago dog and then really having to question their life choices about purchasing the Chicago dog. I finally got the answer to the question that I got wrong like 10 minutes ago. Okay. Okay. I said 400 to 425,000, yes. right? All, told, all towable RVs last year. 426,000. Okay. I don't, I now that I can't no, help tra- if my tra- information your, no, your, was wrong. Your information was right. Travel trailers, 327, but towables is where I was thinking of. And towables includes pop-ups and includes truck campers. Okay. Well, you didn't campers. hear the question correctly. And includes fifth wheels. I said travel trailers. Well, there you go. That's, that's it. I'm done now. Okay. I've given some hot dog facts. I've given some RV trivia facts. I think we can just agree though that I did really well on this. I think we will leave that to the people to decide (laughs) um, because we want this to be a joyous podcast. And so if I give you my interpretation of how you did in that game, you would probably throw down your headset and just walk out and be like, I'm done. That's enough putting me on the spot uh, until later (laughs) on the show. (laughs) So we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to have the answer to last week's brain teaser. And we're going to have Joel Holland from Harvest House, who's got a couple fun stories to tell. We'll be right back. RV Miles is sponsored by PelicanCoolers.com. Hey, you know, just because it's getting cooler outside doesn't mean you can't still go picnicking. You can't still put a good snack in your cooler and take it with you on a day trip somewhere. What's a good snack to you, Jason? (laughs) Like, what's a? I'm very curious as to what's a good snack you would put into your cooler. Uh, Anything that has sugar in it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know what I saw the other day that the new Ford Expedition has 15 cup holders in it, and they're partnering with Dr Pepper to make a 15 can <laughs> box a 15 pack instead of a 12 or 20 you could put that 15 pack in your pelican cooler you got one can for well uh, you can't fit you can't sit 15 people in it no here's so. what, here's what you do okay you get your pelican cooler you buy two of the 15 packs okay you're gonna put one into the cooler then you're gonna open up the other one you're gonna put it into every single cup holder inside your ford expedition so then that way no matter where you are in and around yeah. the Ford Expedition, you've got a Dr. Pepper waiting for you, which makes literally no sense to me because I can't stand Dr. Pepper. <laughs> I think it tastes like Estee Lauder well, lipstick, but that's a whole other story. If you're like us, though, the additional cup holders are just for leaving the empties. <laughs> but going back to Pelican, they too understand the importance of a cup holder. That's right. Pelican and coolers pe- have cup holders built right into the top of them. Right. Every single product 
Everything should just have cup holders built into it. Doesn't matter what it is, just put a cup holder into it. Pelican coolers, not only are they perfect for your 15 pack Dr. Pepper, they've got cup holders, they've got bottle openers on them, they're bear proof, they're made in the USA. They're also super durable. I used mine as a step stool the other day to clean the snow off the roof of the truck. Jeez, the so said, there you go. Go over to pelicancoolers.com slash RV miles because you are going to score a free tumbler, which is perfect for your Dr. Pepper with any hard-sided cooler purchase. Pelicancoolers.com slash RV miles. RV Miles is also sponsored by Road Trippers. Road Trippers lets you plan your perfect road trip and fill in your route with personalized stops along the way. Road Trippers Plus lets you add up to 150 waypoints on your journey, and it is only $6.99 a month or $29.99 a year. And podcast listeners can get 20% off an annual subscription code with a new promo code that we have. So, you know, listen here. It is RV Miles 917X. That X on the end is like... It sounds like a cool radio station. It is. We're RV Miles 91.7 X. So if you want to save 20% off an annual subscription code, just head over to roadtrippers.com slash plus offer and enter RV Miles 917 X for 20% off Road Trippers Plus. It's time for the answer to last week's brain teaser, which went like this. This was a this was a simple one. You just had to count and you had to know how to play chess. In a game of chess, how many different choices do you have for your first move? And the answer is 20. There's 16 possible pawn moves. You can each move each pawn out one space or two spaces and four possible knight moves. The knights are the only ones that can jump in front of the pawns. Now you could say 21. Technically you could surrender the game on the first move by knocking over your king. So if you said that, I would have counted it, but nobody said that. I would do that. <laughs> if, if anyone sat down to play chess with me, I would just, just Naira, play That's all down. I know how to do. <laughs> Who's our, our winner this week? Our winner this week is Susan L. from Arizona, who will receive a Not All Who Wander Our Last t-shirt. Did you know I was on the chess team in junior high school? I didn't, but... I wrote the newsletter. Oh, wow. Please yeah. tell me you have some of those still buried in your closet at your parents' house. I probably do. I'm going to have to ask your dad to get on that. How come you haven't taught the kids how to play chess? Well, we don't have a chess board. I think we do. Oh, well then. They'll argue with me about it the <laughs> whole time, though. This is probably true. All right. All right. If you are interested in getting your own Not All Who Wander Our Lost t-shirt, you should just head over to the RV Miles Teespring store, and we will link to that in the show notes so you can check out all of the great gear that we have available. Hey, one of the most popular programs for RVers out there is a program called Harvest Host. Harvest Host allows you to go to all sorts of different locations across the country, farms, wineries, museums, attractions, and stay overnight, usually in their parking lot or in a field, for free. They just ask that you patronize the business. It's a great way to explore the country by not seeing it through the lens of Walmart parking lots. And so we're a big, <laughs> we're, we're a big we do stay at Walmart parking lots yeah, now no and then. No shade to Walmart. But, Thank you so much for letting <laughs> us stay there. But we're big fans of Harvest House and what they offer because it has just opened up so much for, for so many people. It's a, a big win-win for the RV community and for all of these businesses who are, who are getting new customers. 
Joel Holland is the owner of Harvest House. Uh, I was able to speak with him earlier this week and talk a little bit about sort of what led him to buy Harvest House because he's not the original owner and get involved in where Harvest House is going. So without further ado, here's my interview with Joel Holland of Harvest Hosts. Joel, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Jason. Excited to uh, talk about RVing. We've been wanting to have you on for, for quite a while. We first talked, maybe, I think it was January we first talked. Uh, I've been excited about your program ever since. Harvest Hosts is, of course, an opportunity for RVers to really experience some interesting locations across the country very affordably. But let's take a step back and, and talk about how you got involved in Harvest Hosts because you weren't the original owner, right? That's correct. Yeah, so the, the, uh, the company was originally founded uh, by two really wonderful people, um, Don and Kim Green. And they started it way back in 2009. And, and they had a tough, you know, a tough road ahead of them to actually line up hundreds of incredible wineries and breweries and museums, uh, farms and other attractions that would invite RVers to come and stay overnight uh, for free uh, in, in return for supporting the small business. Wonderful concept. And, and I give them so much credit because to get that original network built must have been very tough, right? Like just the chicken and the egg dilemma to, to reach out to a farm and say, hey, we would love to have you in this new program. Uh, we don't have any members yet, but we will <laughs> if you join us. That, that must have been hard. But when, when my wife and I purchased the company about a year and a half ago, they built this really solid network of about 600 locations. And we came in and, and, and you know said, hey, we are RVers. We use the program. We love Harvest Toast. And by the way, we have a background in technology. And we think we could, you know, expand the program in a meaningful way, you know, build a new app, build a new website, make it easier to search for hosts. Could we do this? And uh, so we, we you know, ultimately agreed on a, on a price that was good for them and good for us and took over, yeah, about a year and a half ago. And it's been a wonderful year and a half. We've added hundreds and hundreds of hosts. We're, we're now over 1,200 hosts all around North America. Uh, we've grown membership. And, and hopefully for anybody listening who uses Harvest Hosts, we've made the technology experience a little better. Uh, and that's something we continue to work on as well. Yeah, you were telling me some stories about your experiences as a Harvest Host member that sort of got you really excited about the program. There was one about a, a farm owned by some nuns. The very first Harvest Host location that I ever stayed at was in Kansas, uh, in, in Pawnee Rock, Kansas. And the reason I chose it, uh, you know, was, you know, kind of exactly, exactly the same way I choose Harvest Host locations today. Uh, I wanted to experience something new in Kansas. You know, I, we live in Colorado and we drive the country, you know, a few times a year. And so often we're driving down route 70, uh, straight across over to the East coast. And far too often we drive straight through Kansas. We stay at the campgrounds right off the highway. And we don't really experience the state. And, and so I was feeling guilty about that because I think every state has something really unique to offer and it's up to us to find it. And so I jumped on Harvest Host, I pulled up Kansas and I said, oh, what is this? You know, Heartland Farm, this looks interesting. And they had alpacas, organic veggies, an art studio, a really good looking property. And uniquely, uh, it was uh, run by the Dominican Sisters of Peace. And I didn't really know what that meant, but... I called them and I, I came to find it was actually run by three nuns, wonderful ladies, all in their 80s. And so as I, as I learned more about this location, I was like, this is everything that I'm looking for. 
It's a really, it's, you know, not too far off of 70. It's a beautiful location. And what a cool program, you know, to, to go support these nuns and experience this lifestyle they've created. And so I, uh, I called them up and I, I said, Hey, I'm a member of Harvest Host. I'd like to stay with you. They said, come on in. I drove down the, this dirt road uh, to their farm, arrived and was greeted by a nice young girl who take, took me on a tour, showed me, the, showed me the chickens, the alpacas. I'd never met an alpaca before. And it turns out they're, they're really, they're really adorable. Right? They're, and then they just had their haircuts. They're, they're looking really fresh, but, but they are quite interesting. Um, and then the whole property has incredible walking, you know, walking tours of the property. And then she showed me what the different nuns uh, worked on. And one creates scarves out of alpaca fur, uh, scarves and, and other um, clothing items. One creates soaps and um, one was a masseuse. And so, you know, that was very unique. And so I, I said, all right, well, I want one of everything. So, so I grabbed, you know, I grabbed some great uh, clothing items. I grabbed some soaps and I signed up for a massage. At this point, honestly, I did not realize that the massage would be performed by the nun. I assumed it was just like, I thought it was like an on-site, you know, masseuse who either came to the farm to do this, you know, it was on call. So I, so I showed up the next morning at 9 a.m. and I'm a little sleepy and I haven't had my coffee yet. And I, I walk over to the little house where they told me to meet at nine in the morning. And I'm greeted by this adorable nun. And, and she, and she introduces herself and says, I'm going to be your, your massage therapist. And I, and I'm kind of flabbergasted, right? Because I, I haven't really interacted with a lot of nuns in my life, but, but when I think about nuns, I don't think about laying on a table and getting a massage from one. And so I was, I was a little confused as to how to react and, you know, the etiquette, but it turned out to be fantastic. And she was a really, really uh, great massage therapist wonderful lady, had a lot of cool stories about how she wound up here at Heartland Farm. And I highly recommend it to everybody who goes through. So, so that was kind of, that was my, literally my first Harvest Host experience, a gorgeous farm run by nuns. And you can't make that stuff up, right? Uh, And that is what I love about the program is that every time I go somewhere, like on my last trip, I went to an underground salt mine and and I got to learn how people mine salt. I had no idea that was a thing. I went to uh, Golden Spike Tower and saw the largest train yard in the world. I love trains. I felt like a little kid. So every time you go to a Harvest Host location, it's this really cool experience and you really leave with a story. That's what my wife and I were looking for because we love RVing. We love traveling all over the country and feeling this freedom. And too often, campgrounds leave us wanting a little bit. And that's not to put down campgrounds. We love campgrounds. We use them all the time. We still use them, even though we own Harvest Host. But sometimes it's nice to change it up and skip the campground and go boondock on a farm or winery in the middle of the vines. And it's, um, it's an amazing experience. So that's what got me hooked. And, and uh, I'm still hooked. I think, and you know, you would know better than I, but I, I think a lot of people sign up for Harvest Host in the first place because they think it's an affordable way to do a lot of those overnight stops along a route to, you know, have some, have some quick, have an alternative to parking at a Walmart. But when they start to use it, you start to realize that's really not, I mean, it, it does that, but that's not what it's for. It, you're really experiencing America by using Harvest Hosts and not parking lots. Yeah. I think that well put. Yeah. Um, that's exactly right. We like to say you're experiencing real America. 
Um, you're, you're getting to patronize small businesses who are excited to share their product. Um, and while supporting them, you're also getting to collect these incredible experiences. And so, and, and that's another thing I like about the program is it to me, I, I like being involved with, in businesses that support all the parties involved. And so with our hosts, we, you know, by our math, our members are spending multiple millions of dollars a year uh, buying the product. And that's, and that, you know, it's not nothing like that's really cool. Like there, there's a lot of money being put into this small business ecosystem, which is wonderful, you know, in, in a day and age where things are moving online and big box stores are popping up. Um, the small business is still really amazing. And so it's nice to support that. Um, and then our members, you know, they're getting these great experiences to your point about saving money. Um, it's interesting. I, I never, I never describe Harvest Hosts as a cost savings program because that's not the goal. It, it, the goal is really an experiences based program. Like you pay your $79 annual membership in order to stay at any of these locations for free, you know, quote unquote for free, but you do, you know, support the host. And what we say is, you know, spend at least $20 or more. And, and honestly, most people spend more, but what I say is take a, you know, take a percentage or all of whatever you would have spent at a campground and um, spend it patronizing the, the host. <laughs> and you also get to come away with a bunch of bottles of wine or a bunch of alpaca scarves or an incredible massage from a uh, nun. Yeah. Right? You, you end up with it. <laughs> you end up with something tangible. Uh, yeah. for that money that wasn't just the, you know, going to a campground. That's right. And so, and so for Harvest Host to succeed, um, the hosts have to do, you know, the hosts have to win uh, and the members have to win. It's a, it's a balance. And I think that we, we have really amazing members. We have very considerate members um, and we have amazing hosts. And so that, that's like, that's my job is to make sure we always keep that balance going where, where they're supporting each other. So talk to me about the, the nuts and bolts. So somebody goes to harvesthost.com, they pay their $79 registration fee for a year, their membership fee. And how does the technology work for them to, to find these places? As soon as you join, you're sent a link, you know, your username and password in order to log into the website and or download our um, app for iPhone or Android. Uh, and then you can search really easily to find um, hosts. You can filter by type. If you're looking for wineries, grab wineries. You, you know, breweries, distilleries, farms, museums. We let you kind of, you can either search by type or you can just see everything in an area. So you can search by state. You can search by city, town. Um, you can search around you to see what hosts are around you. Um, or you can search by route. And and that's the way that I typically do it. You know, I know I'm going from Vail, Colorado to Austin, Texas. I will plot those points uh, in our program and it'll then show me all the hosts along the route and you can decide how far off the highway you're willing to go. So I usually say like 20 miles and I'll see, Oh, there's, you know, six or seven hosts along my route. Let's take a look. And then I'll, you, you can click into them and see our members um, reviews, photos that have been submitted. So you can kind of get a feel for the location. You read the description to learn about, you know, what you're going to see, what you're going to get and you can get a pretty good feel. That's if that's all available to you as soon as you, complete your membership sign up. And, you know, I mentioned it earlier, you know, we have uh, over a thousand hosts, not includes 350 golf courses. The golf package is $20 extra. Uh, and the reason is we bought RV golf club last year into last year. And so we just charge a kind of a nominal upgrade fee to help us pay for that purchase. But right now we have 404 wineries, 
222 farms, 159 attractions. Uh, and attractions, you know, those are interesting things like outdoor automobile museums, aerospace museums, um, the uh, Mount Washington Cog Railway. We have a quilt museum. Um, we have a gator ranch. We have a windmill museum, lavender farm. Uh, we have a museum of osteology. Um, you know, there's just so many really unique, truly unique museums uh, that fall into that attractions category. 354 golf courses uh, and 88 breweries and distilleries. And so that, that's our current, but we're also adding right now an average of two new hosts every day. And, and that changes month to month. But um, the point is we're constantly adding new hosts. We hired a team that um, works full time, recruiting hosts, listening to member suggestions. So once you join for $79, you have access to everything in the network and all the new hosts that keep coming on board. And it's, you know, there's no extra camping fee to stay. Just remember to support your hosts when you do. And there's always new stuff. So even if you've, you know, experienced all the harvest host locations in an area, there might be another one coming down the road soon. Not every RV can be a member. What are the qualifications to your, to your uh, rig? Great question. Yep. So, so the requirement to be a member of Harvest Host is that you must have a self-contained RV. And that means you have a toilet inside, you have a kitchen inside, uh, and you have some sort of gray tank or, or water catch system. Uh, and the reason is, you know, for a lot of these hosts, you'll arrive during business hours, but then they close and you're all on your own. Like you're on this beautiful winery, but the winery's closed up. There's nowhere to go. So you have to have your own you know, facilities. Um, there's, you can't expect to be using the host facilities. So that's why it's required to be um, self-contained. Uh, no tents of any uh, kind are allowed. And that's about it. So, so as long as you can play by those rules, we're excited to have you in the program. When somebody uh, is looking at Harvest Host locations, are they able to see, you know, what will their rig fit? You know, if they've got a very big rig, is it always going to fit in these locations? Or are there, there are a lot of limitations sometimes? So I would say the vast majority of our hosts, like over 80%, are big rig friendly. Literally any size rig can fit. And that's because they're mainly really large farms and wineries. Now, we do have some breweries and some museums that are a little more urban and, and can't fit big rigs. But every host listing shows you exactly what size they can accommodate. And in fact, when you search... So like we're, we're in like a 35 foot fifth wheel when you add on our truck, like we're over 40 feet long. So I have my filter set to show me, you know, the 45 plus foot locations. And then I only see the big rig, you know, I only see places that can fit me. And so yeah, that, that's a filter you can add. Another really common question, uh, can I bring, can I bring my pet? You know, and, and cause a lot of our veers, I actually, according to the last trailer life poll, I saw the majority of our veers, have pets uh, in their RVs with them. Yeah, I think it's like 60% and, now. That's crazy. Yeah, isn't that, that's, it's crazy. And I love it. Uh, and we have pets. And so um, the answer is yes. Again, the majority of our hosts are pet friendly. They love it. There are a few, you know, unique farm situations where the farm animals don't get along well with the dogs or whatnot. So we do have some that are not pet friendly, but that's another filter that you can check. And so with ours, I check pets, you know, pet friendly, 45 feet plus, uh, and I search and the vast majority of the locations are still available, but I don't have to bother, you know, seeing a place that's not going to work for me. 
Well, I think it's it's a, a fantastic program. Um, and we've spoken to tons of RVers that have taken quite a bit of advantage of it. And I think particularly, I want to say, I think the golf club expansion is such an excellent idea because I think you can, you know, you can overnight somewhere and then you can take one of those early morning tea times. There's so many golf clubs have great restaurants attached to them. And most of our golf courses don't require a round of golf. They're okay if you uh, come in and eat at the restaurant yeah. or go to the pro shop. And so that's what I'll often do. I'll stay at the golf course and I'll have a wonderful breakfast before I hit the road uh, the next morning. So what's sort of your vision for the future? What, what, are, what are you guys working on? Anything new that you might be adding in the future? Or what, what do you want Harvest Host to be in five years? I've built businesses in my past and, and, and have, you know, those have been really focused on like growth and revenue and profitability and expansion. And that's not what Harvest Host is to me. Uh, to me, this is a business that I just personally really love. And um, it's a passion project. So, so it, it's kind of nice because I don't have any revenue projections. I don't have any growth projections. My goal is not to try to make this a huge program. My goal is to, just, to make it something that's really exciting for the everyday RVer, right? Anyone who buys an RV and is looking for an exciting place to go and an exciting experience uh, and way to, you know, to see America, uh, I want them to think of Harvest Toast. And so I think, you know, in the next five years, that means we continue um, adding thousands of new locations. I mean, there are just, there are incredible small businesses all over the country who are excited to share their product um, and have room for our beers to stay overnight. So really focused on expanding the network and then of course, expanding membership uh, at the same time, but never at a pace that, ex that, that exceeds the expansion of location. So yeah, I think, I think just continuing to add really, exciting and interesting places for our viewers to stay uh, and experience it. That's the goal. And we'll just keep doing that day by day. Well, Joel Holland from Harvest Host, give us one more plug uh, for how people can go to sign up for Harvest Host. Yeah. So if you just go to harvesthost.com uh, and you'll see right there on the site, there's a big join now button. Uh, but a couple other places I would jump on the site just to get excited. Uh, click on the uh, location photos. And then you can actually see some of our members submitted photos from actual harvest host locations uh, and see what it's like. Uh, click on the host map. And I think it's host locations is the link. And you can actually see an interactive map of where our hosts are located uh, and what types of hosts they are. You can't actually see, you can't get contact information uh, or the ability to book with them, but get a feel for how spread out they are because you know our, our 1200 locations are very evenly distributed throughout um, the lower 48, they're in Alaska, they're in every Canadian province, uh, and they're even down in Baja, California, and Mexico. So a very good distribution around North America. And then when you're ready, just click the Join Now button, uh, fill out the form, tell us what kind of RV you have, and um, you're off to the races. You know, you'll, you'll have your membership card emailed to you and be able to start using your membership the same day. We'll put a link to Harvest House in the show notes as well for anybody who wants to go there and check it out. Joel, thanks so much for being on the show. Glad to finally have you on. Yeah, thank you, Jason. Tons of fun, and I hope to see you and Abby out on the road. RV Miles is happy to welcome on a new sponsor to the show, VersaTube. 
If you're looking for a way to protect your RV before winter hits, VersaTube has you covered. If you're in North Dakota, you better do it real quick. Yeah, you should have done it Monday or Tuesday. <laughs> From RV covers to carports to garages that you can build yourself, VersaTube is like a grown-up erector set with steel. VersaTube ships directly to your door, and it's the perfect protector for your Class A, B, C travel trailer or bus conversion. And since VersaTube loves RV Miles listeners, and who doesn't love RV Miles listeners? I love RV we do. Miles listeners. They're offering 5% off any standard RV cover with coupon code RVMILES, all one word. Head over to RVMILES.com slash 114 to find a direct link to save 5% off your VersaTube RV cover with the coupon code RVMILES. That's the show notes at rvmiles.com slash 114 for a link to save 5% off your VersaTube cover. Keep your rig protected this winter with VersaTube. And RV Miles is also brought to you by RV Repair Club. Whether you're already on the road, planning your next trip, or thinking about installing a few upgrades, RV Repair Club has you covered with step-by-step -step videos designed to make navigating the RV lifestyle a breeze. Have a question about the health of your black tank and who doesn't want to keep their black tank healthy? There's a video for that. Or maybe your propane fridge has given you some trouble. No sweat. There's a video for that too. RV Repair Club's premium membership features thousands of professional how-to videos that will keep you informed and on the road. Unlock your premium membership today and head over to rvrepairclub.com and use code RVMILES at checkout to save 90% off your first year. This is an incredible deal. A full year of premium membership is only $5. What a great way to check out RV Repair Club. Visit rvrepairclub.com and enter coupon code RVMILES, that's all one word, to save 90% off your premium membership with RV Repair Club. If you're about to winterize, go over there and they've got a great video on winterizing. It's worth $5 just to go get that. I mean, yeah. that's such a good deal. You get a whole year's worth of their premium membership for five bucks. And you can also go check out their website without becoming a member. Yep. See if you like it and then join. Absolutely. We want to thank Joel again from Harvest Host, such a great organization. And Harvest Host has graciously offered RV Miles listeners 15% off a Harvest Host membership with the code RV Miles, again, all one word, RV Miles over at harvesthost.com for 15% off. What a great story he has, too. <laughs> I mean, he's got a lot more. We, uh, we, we talked to have a, in yeah. detail earlier this year, which I should have been recording, but I wasn't. Uh, and he's. He has a whole lot more. We need to just have him back and do something called like Tales with Joel. <laughs> yeah. Tales from the Road with Joel. Like, and he can just share some of the stories because they are fantastic. Not too many people can say that they had a massage with a nun. That's really something. <laughs> we want to remind you to check out the Sea America and the America's National Parks podcast. Sea America this week, we have the Seattle Space Needle, which is actually featured on our logo. And they just completed a huge renovation. It's really interesting to hear the story. And over at America's National Parks, we have the story of John Wesley Powell, who Lake Powell is named after. And uh, this is the guy with his expedition who was the the first European, the first white man to sort of travel the whole length of the Colorado River through the Grand Canyon. The Grand Canyon was a, literally a hole on maps, an unknown void on maps. The great unknown. Before Powell actually mapped a lot of it. There are some rapids that they hit in this story as I was relating it that I was thinking to myself, A, I can't believe they did that. B, yeah. I can't believe they survived. C, are they crazy? Also, Powell was one armed. 
Uh, yes, I. You know, you forget <laughs> about that as you're listening to the story. But yes, he had lost the majority of his right arm in the Civil War, you and he fought at, in like seven different major battles in the okay, Civil War. He's too. like the Alexander it's Hamilton <laughs> of the Civil War. It's just it's insane. Yeah. So it's really fascinating. Both stories are really fascinating. You can find them both over at rvmiles.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Or just you know what, if you're listening to a podcast right now on an app, I guarantee I imagine you, you are. <laughs> I can pretty much guarantee you are listening to a podcast right now. Unless by some <laughs> magic. Those are my psychic powers there. Yes. All right. Let's move on, shall we? It's time for the Fresh Tank Black Tank segment where we talk about the good and the bad and the ugly that, we, uh, that we've come across this week in the news. Abby or life because I, like, I got a I got a black Abby usually doesn't go for the news I don't Abby Who's, kick, nobody got time kick for the us news, off okay? with your what's your black tank this week okay so there's a very popular word out there right now that I I can't seem this is this is my transition into full and complete lame parenthood okay uh, this is my complete transition into I'm 40 get off my lawn I'm black tanking the word yeet Okay. You know, I think yeet, I think yeet is over. I don't think yeet. Uh, well, I think now it said. I think now it said ironically. Well, I think if you sit next to our children, it's not quite over yet. Do now. I imagine a good ninety-seven point five percent of our listeners have never heard the word yeet. If they haven't, they're very, very fortunate. Y e e t. So, yes. Whether it's used ironically or it's used literally or it's used as an expression of joy what what does it mean abby what's the definition of jason i have never bothered to look up the (laughs) definition of yeet why would i waste that time i'm going i'm going over to urban dictionary right now (laughs) here's my thing it got me thinking about when we were young whippersnappers in the world right did our parents have things words that they they thought if i hear my child say this one more time i'm just going to lose it so before we jump into it you have clearly found the definition of yeet would you like to tell everyone what the definition of yeet is yeet is a versatile word that can be used as an exclamation a verb or even a noun as an exclamation, it can be used to express excitement, <laughs> usually happily, but also nervously. Oh, yeet. That's <laughs> it can, ooh, yeet. It can, ask, it can also be used as an exclamation of victory. Yeet. Or as a bowel cry while throwing or hitting something. Yeet. <laughs> something like that. The, the next definition was, as a noun, a yeet is the action of yeeting. Yeet can also be a feeling or emotion. Usually un- like an adrenaline rush. So you can imagine those two it's, E's really it, lend itself to just like this nasally, just like, I mean, it just, so it got me thinking, what were some of the slangs from, that we had growing up, right? Is this, are you start going to quiz me again now? Uh, this is, we're sliding into a little oh, something geez. I had, okay? And it's not so much a quiz <laughs> as so much as I just, we're going to go through. Now, you and I are children of the 90s, so I only went to slang from the 90s, right? What are you talking about? We're children of the 80s. <laughs> no, we're tweens, teens of we were, the 90s. Right. Okay, and that's when a lot of, we would have really gotten heavy into the slang, okay? Uh-huh. I'm not going to go look at 80s slang. I stuck to 90s slang. So, well, I found this article. I've always been a good 10 years behind everyone else. So. This is this is, oh, so true. So, I found this article, 20 slang terms from the 90s that no one uses anymore, okay? <laughs> 
So I'm going to run through a few of these and I just want you to really put on your honesty filter. And I would like you to say whether or not you used this during your tween teen years. Okay. Mm, Okay. And if your parents ever said, if you say that word one more time, I'm just totally going to lose my mind. Mm. Okay. First one, all that and a bag of chips. No, I uh, used and, it. And I, I totally used that one. I don't think I'll, I think that is another one that a lot of people used ironically for quite well, a while. So their definition is, and this is from bestlifeonline.com. Okay. So it says, so it's, so it's a real legit <laughs> yeah, website. You're living your best life when you're on this website. A compliment of sorts. The person or thing being described is everything one could possibly hope for. And they come with a side dish. <laughs> Example, she's not just cool. She's all that and a bag of chips. Here's another one. Home skillet. Did you ever use the term home skillet? Yeah, because all right. So it started out like Oh, you're my you're yeah, my, my homeboy. Home, yeah, you're my then home I become skillet. your homie. Then it's your home slice, your home skillet. Your your <laughs> lots of different ways to say my homeboy because homeboy became like old right. school. So home skillet really does refer to <laughs> your close confidants, your best. But buds. no, I see. I don't like nickname type things, so I would never have used such a term. Okay, well you're gonna love this one. I know this was used around my house. Talk to the hand. Do you remember talk to the hand? Yeah. And I'm doing the gesture because you had to do the gesture. But again, I don't think anybody like I don't I never knew anybody that used that like for real. Like they really meant it. (laughs) Like They weren't joking. This is I love their definition. Whatever the other person is trying to tell you has been rejected. You are no longer interested in conversing with them. For example, can I please explain why you're wrong about Tanya Harding? talk to the hand now okay. isn't isn't talk to the hand a shortening uh, wasn't it talk to the hand because the face ain't listening or something <laughs> like that i really hope so i'm pretty sure that's the truth talk to, talk to the hand because the face <laughs> it was talk to the hand because the face look, ain't listening that's what it was yeah. i'm bringing that one back yeah. <laughs> okay uh here's another one Booyah. Did you do booyah? I still do. You do. No, I don't. <laughs> yes, no, you I don't. do. Never you do. Did. You you do booyah no. from time to time. No. But you do it in an ironic way. Yeah. Well, anything. So I'd this say is, is like ironic. this is the nineties version of yeet. Okay. <laughs> this is the nineties booyah was the nineties version oh, of yeet. Goodness. You yeah. know, for example, I'm finally moving out of my parents' oh. basement. Booyah! <laughs> like there you go. Okay. <laughs> All right, I'll give you one more. I'm going to argue this one. I do not think it's dead. I think it's very much alive and it will always be alive. And that is whatever. Oh, I mean, whatever is that, so that's, buried. That's something deep. that has become. Yeah, that's one thing that's hung on and is going yeah. to continue. I mean, that is so deep into the teen tween vernacular, you know. Now, you did have the variances of like whatevs or like you know, whatever. using your hands to make a WV. Yeah. Oh, uh, <laughs> whatever. Please nobody teach our kids these okay. things. <laughs> whatever. I think that making the W is very 90s. That was like the early days of whatever. Mm-hmm. So my feelings about Yeet as, a, as an adult, as a parent, are probably very much some of the feelings our parents had 
when we would go, booyah. See, my or, parents. Mom, I got to go. My home skillet is waiting for me out in the car. My dad would actually try to use those words. <laughs> yeah. Your dad totally would. I could totally see that. I'll link to this in the show notes. Because, a, you know, you really got to want to go check this no, article you out. Want to. It's full of important There's, information that you really need to get through your day. You do, because there are 20. Anybody remember SUP? Sup. Now, now sup. that I, that, yeah. Sup, mm -mm. nothing. Sup with you. Nothing. nothing. Just playing Sega. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> All right. It's so good. All right. So, so roundabout way, Black Tank, yeet over it. <laughs> the long way to the get long, to the long way, long way home. What is your fresh tank this week? My fresh tank this week is uh, a story out of Badlands National Park. I just shared it in the RV Miles Facebook group this afternoon. The park just opened up 22,000 more acres to bison. There's about 1,200 bison in the park. So this has been a project that's been going on for a couple of years. World Wildlife Fund has been a part of it. The National Park Foundation has been a part of it. They have been putting in fencing into this section of, of the park in order to release bison and to give them more space to go. This video that's in the group is so incredibly moving on thousand layers because what you're watching is you're watching the bison be released into part of this new land. And it is the first time that bison have set foot in this part of Badlands National Park since 1877. Wow. And the people, you know, the Badlands National Park went live on Friday, the Rangers. Uh, there were some other, you know, World Wildlife Fund. They have a video. And just everybody that's there experiencing this, you hear words like this is historic. You know, you hear people cheering and clapping and you hear people, you know, silently crying. I mean, it's so emotional because these are animals that we had almost completely eradicated. There were millions of them. And so to see what we as man, as let me rephrase that what we as people had done to this animal and then what we have, you know, been able to be a part of to try and save this species. It's just phenomenal. I mean, this video is really, I, it's just bison running out into the open wild, but it's so emotional to watch. You know, B Badlands is, is one of those cool parks. So a lot, there's a lot of national parks that sort of have, multiple identities you know like joshua tree isn't really just all about a tree right um and badlands it has the whole badlands section and then it's got acres and acres and acres of tall grass prairie and at badlands you can actually camp in the campground in the middle of the prairie grass where the bison just roam through the it's campground phenomenal it's a great place to to go see them all right <laughs> what is your black tank for this week uh, so I'm going gonna, gonna to get a little serious here for a second um, and slightly political, but I'm going to try it to do it in a way. Both sides are, are at fault for this issue and have been for years. Um, but this is a bipartisan anger. You yes. Have right now. Let's, and, but let's this, just leave it. At so that. I think that's a great way. Just to put because it. this is happening now in this administration doesn't mean it hasn't happened in other administrations. Or it wasn't being built up right. to this moment. So we've talked about this before. There is this committee that is set up to advise the Department of the Interior. It's called the Made in America Outdoor Recreation Advisory Committee. And this is a committee that is solely made up of business leaders 
in outdoor recreation. The RV industry is very, very involved in this committee. And what they're doing right now, and, and like I said, it's just business leaders. There's nobody representing the public. They're making recommendations to the Department of the Interior and to the National Park Service in particular about how to make recreational lands better for people and better is in quotations. Um, they're also trying to make recommendations uh, to make them uh, more self-sustainable monetarily and to be a little bit more profitable. They have put out a letter to the National Park Service and the Department of the Interior with their findings. And um, we talked about this before. They were suggesting more privatization of campgrounds. So that has been formalized. They are, they are formally suggesting more privatization of public campgrounds, meaning that theoretically those private companies would be able to come in and update those campgrounds, make more full hookup sites, make longer sites, make 50 amp sites and, you know, make them more expensive because that's what happens when, I mean, let's just be honest, the, all the privatized campgrounds in the federal system are about twice the price as the other ones. Um, so that's, that's what's being suggested. And a lot of people will say, well, business can, can manage a campground way better than the federal government can. And there are many, many areas where I would agree with you. The problem is it's just not working with campgrounds. We lose money every year because nobody actually wants to run all of the campgrounds. They only want to run the very best campgrounds. So you've got like 12 campgrounds at Yellowstone and you've got one of them, Fishing Bridge, that's privatized because that's the only campground that Zantara wants to run there because it's got 300 some spaces and it's the most profitable. So the National Park Service still has to have a massive staff of campground workers to operate all the other campgrounds. And then you've got issues like at the Grand Canyon where they really had to sweeten the deal because they couldn't get a bidder. So they actually ended up losing money once the campground at the Grand Canyon went privatized because the deal just had to be that good. There's something I want to go back to really quick mm -hmm. that you said at the kind of at the beginning of this that I think is the most important in regards to this proposal that they put out, that they want to make these public lands better for people. Last time I checked, these public lands weren't put here to be better for us. These public lands are here to preserve That's and right. protect yeah. the land. And I think that when you start looking at these spaces as ownership for the people in regards to making them more comfortable, and I put that in quotation marks for us, full hookups, longer sites, better camping, you know, if, if you consider those better camping accommodations, because yeah. what you're doing is you're altering even more the landscape within these places that we are set up to protect. Well, and better is subjective, right? I mean, to some right. people, better is nicer sites. And, but to some people, better is not paying twice as much. To others, better is a boondocking spot with nothing in front of the most spectacular mountain range or landscape. But the, it's untouched. There's another major reason why this doesn't work the way it seems like it should on paper. It seems great. Let's get businesses in to run campgrounds. Let's, you know, they, they can offer all sorts of activities and stuff and they can really bring in a profit and they can make these campgrounds self-sustaining. But the problem is that's just not the way it works because the National Park Service and all the other federal agencies that have campgrounds 
are still responsible for the infrastructure and for major maintenance of these facilities. Yeah, I feel like this is a topic we could talk. We could talk so much forever. about. And I yeah. I just think at the end of the day, I have a lot of respect for the RV industry. I have a lot of respect for the National Park Service. And I have some respect for Zantara and the, you know, stick to the hotels. I do not believe that the RV industry is meant to be a part of our National Park Service. I do not believe the National Park Service is meant to be a part of the RV industry. I do believe that while we go camp, these are two completely separate businesses and entities, and they need to stay out of each other's business. I do not believe that the RV industry has any reason to be putting their hand into what is happening inside our national. Yeah. Parks. I mean, they're trying to sell more RVs. That's what it right. really and comes I down to. I do not believe that the national park service needs to be getting into bed with any more yeah. private companies than they already have, because there is enough data to show it doesn't work. I think that some of the lodges and hotels that we have inside the parks, I think leave them to Zantara, leave them to private groups to run. That's fine. A hotel's different because it's a, it's a service oriented thing. Absolutely. We've talked about all of this uh, on an episode uh, weeks and weeks and weeks ago. What has changed this time that I did want to bring up is part of this, and you can, I'll put a link to, to this whole letter that has been sent now over to the DOI from this committee. Um, one of the major suggestions that they're putting in is that the senior pass and the disabled pass um, to the national parks that offer, you know, discounts on camping, and they also offer, you know, you get free admission. They're suggesting blackout dates for those uh, during busy times of the year. I think anytime you start messing with some of our more vulnerable citizens, I just can't get behind that. Yeah, I really, really can't. And for a lot of families, where especially if you have someone with special needs in your home and so much of your income and your time is going towards the very important care of that loved one to have something like this pass that allows you to come into these parks to camp at a reduced rate. And oftentimes camping is really the only way that these families can travel from place to place. It allows them the sort of being in an RV allows them the kind of freedom that they need to care for this person now I, look, I just I, I can't Jason no. it just it, it's I don't you know again I don't want to way to bring my trivia show down right uh, like wow oh, I got a good fresh thing I got <laughs> a good fresh thing I just but I, I, I don't I'll, I think anytime anytime we start messing with some of our most vulnerable and uh economically potentially economically strapped citizens I think then our priorities are not where they should be yeah you know, I just want to wrap this up by saying, you know, I know to a lot of people, it, it looks like, look, we've got a major budget issue in the national parks in this country. We need to find ways for people to help pay for that. People that are visiting these parks cheaply need to help pay for that. On paper, that sounds good. But when you crunch the numbers, the problem is so much bigger than that. It You would have to charge $500 a car. I'm not, this is not exa an exaggeration. You'd have to charge $500 a car at all the places that charge fees now and not have any reduction in visitors, which isn't going to happen. 
if you charge five hundred dollars a car, you're going to lose some visitors you're for sure. Lose a few. You're going to get the parks all to yourself in order to, <laughs> in order to make up the deficit from what Congress is funding the parks at. Congress needs to fund the parks. The parks overall, at the level they need to be funded at, is as a drop in the bucket in the federal budget. It's it's just got to happen. All right, my fresh tank. Interesting thing happening in Illinois right now. There Isn't were- something always very interesting <laughs> in Illinois? I swear. Well, so a lot of people when they buy an RV might think that their RV is subject to lemon laws that we have for cars that protect you from if your car, you buy a new car and it suddenly takes all sorts of repair because it has a lot of issues from the manufacturing it's process. A lemon. It's a lemon. You can get your money back, right? RVs traditionally across the country have not been subject to lemon laws. Something interesting just happened in Illinois. A couple had an issue with their RV from a dealership. Uh, it, It was full of problems and the dealership could not repair those problems. Said they needed to send it back to the manufacturer and that they were going to be without their RV for at least six weeks. Now they bought their RV at the beginning of the season and they were going to go camping. And of course they couldn't do anything with it for the whole year. So what they decided to do was to, to write the dealership and say, okay, we're just canceling the contract on this. We don't want it. And the dealership said, no, (laughs) we're we're getting it fixed for you. um, But you have to, you have to purchase this. And that's, generally what the situation has been for so for, many. for so many people yeah. they actually went to court on this case and it, and it went up to the illinois supreme court what they argued was that instead of lemon laws they argued that the uniform commercial code which is a set of regulations that all businesses in the u.s and all 50 states operate under the universal commercial code is as more law than much of the rest of the law than we deal with every day. In, in this code, it, it states that you can't sell a product to a customer and have something be wrong with it and expect them to keep it. They should be able to get their money back unless they knew something was wrong with it. If they knew something was wrong with it when they bought it and you were you said you were going to repair it and that was all discussed, then then it's fine. But you should not have to received that product. The Illinois Supreme Court agreed with them. And now there is a precedent case law where a couple has argued under the Uniform Commercial Code to get their money back for an RV they purchased that was a lemon. Ooh, I love this. Now, I hope that this shakes the uh, lemon tree on some of these RV exactly. manufacturers. And I, I don't I don't know exactly how the law works, if this, you know, might be able to be used as precedent in other states as well. But it's a little chink in the armor because I got to tell you, there have been a lot of pushes for RV lemon laws across the country. There have been Congress people that have been trying to put these in place in their states. And the RV industry is fighting very hard against it. I wonder why. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, this is awesome. Good for this couple. Good for them for digging for in there. It out. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, because that's a long process to go all the way up to the Illinois Supreme Court. Yeah. All right. Let's wrap this episode up with a brain teaser. How about we? How about it? I'm a word of six. My first three letters refer to an automobile. My last three letters refer to a household animal. My first four letters is a fish. 
My hole is found in your room. What am I? Ooh. If you think you know the answer, go over to rvmiles.com slash brain teaser and leave it in the little fill in form there. You can also find that form on the show notes at rvmiles.com slash 114. And you could win a Not All Who Wander Our Lost t-shirt. And we'll have the answer on next week's episode of the RV Miles podcast. We sure will. And this is going to do it for the trivia edition (laughs) of RV Miles. Thank goodness. (laughs) Jason will be back to controlling the show outline next week. If you have any questions or suggestions for us, find us over at editor at RVMiles.com or RV Miles is all across the social medias at Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Jason and I hang out over at OurWanderingFamily.com with Jack Ethan and Henry. That's also all across social media. So is America's National Parks. So is Sea America. We are just busy, busy, busy. Until next week, though, we're going to dig ourselves out of the snow and hopefully we are only just a few more weeks away from logging some RV miles. We will see you guys next week. Have a fantastic week. Bye, everybody. 